Man, didn't the Crusaders do a good job this morning? I'm a preacher and I feel like there's nothing else to say. I mean, they presented the gospel. And I want you to know today, here's the great part about it. No matter where you come from, no matter what you've been through, uh, no matter what's happening at home, no matter what's happening in the world today, Jesus loves you and he wants to change you. Uh, and he wants to give you, and he wants to set you free. You don't have to walk around wondering what your purpose in life is. Here's your purpose in life, to know God, to make him known. Amen. And what I want to tell you today is this. I'm nothing special. I'm just a nobody who wants to tell everybody about the somebody that can change and set free anybody. And I hope you came here today knowing that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what everybody else says about you, no matter what you're dealing with today, that 2,000 years ago, the only true God hung up on a cross and bled every drop of blood out of his body to set you free. And he did that because he loves you. And you say, well, John, I don't believe that. John, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't really know if, if, if that's real. Well, if that's the case, then why did Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 52 and 53, talk about what Jesus went through hundreds of years before it actually happened? See, you can try to discount the Bible. You can try to discount Jesus. But one thing you can't discount is what happens when somebody comes to meet Jesus as Savior and Lord. Because if they truly met Jesus, they ain't never going to be the same again. And I stand before you today, not as, a, as an eloquent theologian. I don't stand before you today as making much of me because there's not much of me to make known. But I stand for you, before you today trying to make much of him. Who when I wasn't worth much to anybody else, he thought I was worth everything. Because he went and spilt blood for me. And so, sir, ma'am, teenager, I don't know where you are today, but I do know this. If you don't know Jesus, you can meet him today. And life as you know it will never, ever, ever be the same again. You ain't got to keep wallowing in that self-pity. You ain't got to keep running back to the stuff that got you in bondage. You can come today and meet the man that can set you free forever. So today I just want to talk to you a little bit about the need for revival. Would y'all say our country's in need of revival? I mean, did you hear about the guy, would you, would you, did you hear about the guy that went into the naval shipyard and just started opening fire just this past week? Killing people. In Chicago, in, a, in an apparent gang-related activity, about 13 people were injured. Some were even killed. One of them was a little, little three-year-old kid. He got shot in the cheek by a gang-related incident. We go back to the Sandy Hook Elementary Massacre. We go back to the guy on an American army base who opened fire on his American soldiers and troops we go back to a, to a place where the homosexual agenda is trying to push its way through everything. We look at our nation today and we wonder how, how could it get this bad? Truth be known, it's gotten this bad because we in the church have allowed it to get this bad. And would you say today that, that our nation is in need of revival? Make no mistake about it. The nation wasn't founded one nation under God and they had to wonder who that God was. It's not Allah. It's not Buddha. It's not anybody else. It's the God of the Bible who we call Jesus. 
And I find it interesting today that the nation who says our motto, one nation under God, you can't even mention the name of Jesus without somebody throwing a hissy fit. And the only way our nation is going to have revival is if we experience revival. There's a need. There's a drastic need for revival. I mean, I live up in the Houston area and uh, at, at a high school in Spring, Texas, a fight broke out, a gang-related fight. Numerous people got stabbed. Our world's not getting any better, folks. I mean, we, from, from everything going on at Capitol Hill to a country that can't pay their bills to all this stuff that's going on, talks of Syria and moving in and taking over there, it's not getting any better. But I got news for you. I know somebody who can make it all better. And I want to talk to you today about how, about the need for revival and why there is this need and what we can do about it. So take your Bibles and open up to the book of Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. And maybe you're one of those eternal optimists and you say, well, John, it's not really that bad. I mean, maybe it's bad in the nation, but it's not bad in the church. Maybe, maybe it's that bad up in Washington because there's a bunch of people up there that don't know what they're doing. I mean, you know, quite frankly, you know, I, I, I like words, and poly means many, and ticks mean blood-sucking creature. So is it kind of any, I mean, is it any wonder why we got politicians in politics? I'm just saying. But, uh, you know, you may be saying, well, the, country, the country's that bad, but surely the church isn't that bad. The country's in shambles and the country needs revival. But John, I'm good. I don't need revival. Really? What would the same people underneath your roof say? What would your kids say at night as they're crying and screaming, as they're crying themselves to sleep because mom and dad are fighting and bickering? What would your kids say at night? Because they're wondering if mom and dad are even staying together. Because can I tell you, the divorce rate's as high inside the church walls as it is outside the church walls. But it's not bad in that church, John. It's not that bad. Really. Then why are your kids having to find out about who people think Jesus is from history books rather than from mom and dad sitting down and telling them from the book? But it's not that bad in the church, John. I mean, it's bad in America, but it's not that bad in the church. Really? Then how come... There's churches that are shutting their doors every day because people inside the church are holding on to their tithe because they're scared to give it up because God might ask them to do something with it. It's not, bad in the, it's not as bad in the, in the church as it is in the nation, John. Oh, really? Really? Then why is it that more people want to go to football games on Friday night than they do want to come to the house of God on Sunday morning? Ezekiel chapter 37, I believe it's because of this. Number one, that dryness in our walk is acceptable and tolerated. Look at this. Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by his spirit, and he set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. Watch this. He led me all around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Y'all ever tasted a dry piece of meat? It don't taste too good, does it? I mean, it makes you almost want to become a vegetarian just because you don't ever want to put another one like that in your mouth. You know, about the only good thing that's worth being dry is clothes. Y'all know that? But here's the problem in churches today. We've allowed dryness to slip in. You say, John, I'm not spiritually dry. Oh, really? Are you broken over the lost? 
John, I'm not spiritually dry, really. How's your desire for getting in God's word and praying and seeking his face? Because if there's not more of a desire for that than there is a desire to go to the movies, a desire to uh, get on Facebook, a desire to be the socially acceptable popular person, then you're dry. I mean, if, if, if you're willing to say, well, I'll just go to church on Sunday morning because I know Brother Greg will give me the word, then could it be that you're dry? Because this book is big enough to be devoured every day, in, including Sunday. Amen. You say, John, I'm not dry. Then do you justify and rationalize your sin? Man, my sin's not as bad as them. I mean, they do this and this and this and this. All I do is gossip. They do this and this and this and this. All I do is look at stuff on the internet. They do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And this. All I do is this. See, when you're dry, you rationalize your sin. You try to say, well, my sin's not as bad as so-and-so's. You know, the best thing you can do about your sin is personalize it and ask Jesus to forgive you of it. Because sin separates you from God. And if you're here today and you've never met Jesus, here's what I want you to know about your sin. It will condemn you to a fiery place called hell. The Bible says this, the wages of our sin is death. You and I deserve to die. We deserve to die for our sin. But I got great news for you. 2,000 years ago, my hero, Jesus, hopped up on a cross after taking the most brutal beating ever known to man. You don't believe me? Read Isaiah 52. Beaten so bad you couldn't even tell if he was human. Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was wounded for our iniquity. The chastisement of my sin was put on him. But by his stripes, I am healed. You know what healed means? I'm made new. That the, 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 the punishment for my sin should have been put, placed on me, but it was on him. I held the hammer. I held the nail that condemned Jesus to the cross. You say, well, John, I don't believe that. That's okay. I can say I don't believe in gravity. And I can still jump out of an airplane. And I can still fall. And it can still hurt. Well, you say, John, I don't believe that Jesus really does that for me because, because, John, I don't believe that he would love me that way. You know what the Bible says? For God so loved the world. Yes. You know what that so means? It means this, that he was willing to do for you what no one else would or could. Hop up on a cross, bleed, die, and be humiliated for me and for you. There's a dryness. You say, well, well John, I'm not dry. I'm not, I'm not dry in my walk with God. Really, do you come to church and memorize scripture but not apply it to your life? I mean, you can come to church all you want. You can memorize John 3.16 all you want. And you can memorize Habakkuk 1.5. And you can memorize this and you can memorize that. But I got news for you. All it is is a verse unless it's changed your life. And we live in a generation today. Listen, we live in a generation today where people in third world countries, ask Mary Lee about Kenya. People will come there and they'll hunger for one page and one verse of scripture. Most, most of us don't even know where to look to find scripture. We sit in churches and if the air's not cold enough, if the music's too loud, we tuck tail and run. Yet there's people in other countries right now that are meeting with the hope, with, with, that are meeting in secret, hoping they don't get caught because they, they want to know Jesus. And I believe that we have gotten so dry as a nation that what, I, what God prophesied in Zephaniah 3.12 has happened. Here's what he says. I will punish those who have settled down comfortably. Another translation says this. I will punish those who were stagnant in spirit. 
Could it be that the church in America today is receiving the punishment of God because we are content with dryness? We are lukewarm to the point where we're making God want to vomit. Ask yourself this question. Are you, closer to, are you as close to God now as you've ever been in your life? Because if not, if not, it could be that you're dry and lukewarm and making God want to vomit. Could it be that God is bringing the wrath and bringing judgment on your family because you're stagnant in spirit, because you're comfortable? Well, I'm just going to go through the motions. I mean, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to go to church on Wednesday. I'm going to open my Bible. I'm going to hallelujah a sermon. I'm going to raise my hands in worship. But I'm going to leave the church house, and I'm not going to make one stinking difference in the world out there. And don't say that don't happen because 99.9% of the churches I've been to, that exact same thing happens. We'll fill the roles of church. We'll fill the roles in the church house, but you know what we don't fill? The roles of heaven. We leave that to Brother Greg. We leave that to the Crusaders because they get paid to do it. You know what somebody who's dry is? They leave the work of evangelism to somebody else. But look at this, watch this. Look at the second thing. There's a need for revival because the demand to preach has been ignored. Watch this. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And while I was prophesying, there was a voice, a rattling sound, and the, bone, the bones came together, bone to bone. Look what God said in verse... Uh, Look what God said in verse 4. He said to me, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you will come to life. Then you will know that I am God. And I prophesied as I had been commanded. Can I tell you something today? I don't care whether you stand before a congregation on Sunday morning. I don't care if you've got a theological degree or don't. I don't care if you can add two plus two and get four. If you can spell, you're a preacher regardless of what you believe. Here's the sad reality, though. Most of us are blood-bought believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, think that we've got to stand up here on a Sunday morning, open God's Word, and preach. Did y'all know this? You will reach more people than your pastor ever will if you'll just live your life for the glory of the God who died for you. Preaching is just bringing the Word of God. You can do it verbally or you can do it with your life. And the sad reality is this, that most of us are losing the battle for souls because we just equate preaching with Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Y'all can preach at your workplace. You can preach in your home. Students, you can preach on the ball field, in the classroom, in the halls of your school. You can preach in the, grocery, in, the, in the line at the grocery store. Because preaching is just telling somebody about what Jesus has done in your life. And one of the greatest ways you can do that is live your life. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this. Those who live should no longer live for themselves, listen, but for the one who died and rose again on their behalf. You know what he's saying? Preach at all times when necessary, use words. We got to understand, man, here, here's what changes people's lives. It's not Oprah, it's not Dr. Phil, it's not the latest, greatest health challenge that changes people's lives. It's not uh, America's Got Talent or American Idol. You know what changes people's lives? The Word of God communicated. Communicated from a pulpit or communicated from our lives. That's what changes people's lives. You say, John, I don't believe that. That's good. I want you to know this. If that is the case, if that's not the case, 
then why is this book the number one bestseller of all time? If that's not the case, if that's not the case, then why does every, every attempt to refute this book come back with one, with one explanation? It is and always will be the Word. And the Word changes people's lives. The Word makes people get right. And the Word teaches us how to stay right. That's why it's important that you have your tail on here on Sunday mornings to hear the word. That's why it's important that you live your life for the glory of God, because you're the only Bible some will ever read. My question to you is this. What Bible are they reading that you're presenting? A Bible that says, well, you can cut corners in your walk with God. A Bible that says, hey, living for Jesus is an optional thing. I mean, it's a matter of popular opinion. Or are you reading the Bible that says, as for me and my house, Jack, we will serve the Lord. What Bible is your life portraying? What, what, what is the, your life saying to other people? Well, I can go do whatever I want to do because after all, Jesus is going to forgive me anyway. I mean, I can go honky tonk it up and I can go sleep it up. I can go drug it up. I can go drink it up because after all, I'm a Christian and I can, uh, you know, Jesus is going to save me anyway. He's going to forgive me anyway. Or are, you say, or are you going like this? Are you saying the, th this? I'm not who I used to be, and I'm not who I'm going to be because of he who lives inside of me. Yeah. That I don't need the junk of the world because I got the Savior who died for the world. You're a preacher. Preach the word. Don't preach some fluff and stuff Christianity that's running around here. All these guys that are preaching, um, you know, health and wealth and prosperity and trying your best and doing your best and being your best and this and that. You know what you need to preach? Preach Jesus and him crucified. Preach what your life was like before you met Jesus, how you met Jesus, and how he changed your life when you met him. And listen to me. You notice I said the last part, how he changed your life. If your life ain't been changed, you don't know Jesus. You say, well, John, I can't believe you said that. I'm a Baptist. Show me one place in Scripture it says Baptists are going to heaven. Show me one place in Scripture it says just because you go to a revival service, God gives you a free pass. Show me one place in Scripture it says that you can be a member of a denomination and that's going to allow God to let you into heaven. My question to you tonight is this, friend. If you stood before God right now, right now, and he asked you why I should let you into heaven, what would you tell him? Well, I've been married to the same person for 50-something years, and that's, I mean, I've paid my dues here. <laughs> I give to the church. I go on mission trips. I wear Christian t-shirts. I post verses on Facebook. Surely God will allow me in. You know what? Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. You ain't getting there but through him, period. You say, well, how could Jesus say that? Because he's the one that jumped up on the cross and did it for us. Allah can't say that. Buddha can't say it. And you know what? You can't say it because you didn't die for other people. Jesus did. Look at this. Number three. Because deadness is common in the world today. That's why there's a need for revival. Look at verse eight. As I looked, tendons appeared on them. Flesh grew and covered them. But listen, there was no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to it. This is what the Lord God says. Breath come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. Do you know it's God's desire for you to live? It's God's desire. Listen, it's God's desire for you to live with him and live for him. 
There's two kinds of people in the house today. Those that will spend a few seconds in the presence of God, long enough for him to banish them to hell, and those who will spend forever in the presence of God. Because they, were, they responded to him for life. Do you hear what it said? It said, hey, he looked around and he saw tendons on him. He saw skin on him. He saw, they looked like everybody else. But there was one noticeable difference. They didn't have life. And some of you in the room tonight, or today, you look like everybody else. You got a shirt on. You got pants or a dress on. You sang during the worship time. You said amen during the prayer. Maybe you gave a tithe. My question to you is this. Is there life inside of you? Because if not, you're dead. You're dead in your sin. You're separated from God. And you're on a one-way ticket to a place called hell. You're dead. And you say, John, I'm not dead. You know, you know how I know if somebody's dead? Because they're empty. They're empty. And here's what happens to empty. Well, here's what empty people do. Empty people run to different things to try to fill a God-shaped hole in their life. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's money. I'm trying to get all this stuff that I can get to fill this hole in my life because I'm empty. Well, I want you to know the only thing that's going to fill the hole in your life is a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. It's not Jesus plus a fat bank account. It's not Jesus plus good works. It's not Jesus plus kids that are obedient. It's not Jesus plus proper political affiliation. It's Jesus and Him alone. Amen. And here's the issue. Some of you today are, are trying to base your eternity on what you've done for God rather than, what on, on, rather than on what God's done for you. You're trying to base your eternity on the fact that you came and you, you came to church. And you think God's sitting up there, good golly gumbo, he's in church today. I want you to know something. It doesn't say, it says this, by grace you were saved through faith. Yes. The evidence of the faith that you have is dictated by the life that you lead. But your good works don't get you there. Your good works are evidence that he lives inside of you. You may say, well... I'm a member of the choir. I'm a pillar of this community. Do y'all know what? At any moment, pillars can get knocked down. See, it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. It doesn't matter what your color is. It doesn't matter how many times you sit, you sit in a pulp or in a pew. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter how many revival services you've gone to. It doesn't even matter how many baptistries you've been dunked in. You say, well, John, I was baptized when I was a kid. All right, then let's go to the passage of Scripture where Jesus is, sitting, is crucified between two thieves. The thief on the right says, hey, Jesus, remember me today when you enter your kingdom. Here's what Jesus didn't say. Well, go first be baptized. Get off the cross and go be baptized, then we'll talk. You know what Jesus said to him? Today you'll be with me in paradise. You may have walked an aisle and gotten baptized. You may have prayed a prayer. You may wear a Christian t-shirt. You may... Uh, you may do all the right stuff, but you never have done the main thing, and that's give your life to Jesus. And you're dead today, friend. You know it. Your family knows it. And you know what? Maybe you're the kind of person that I heard about with my friend Jonathan last night. You've been raised in church your whole life. You might have even made what we call a profession of faith to make your mom and dad happy. Or you did it at VBS because your friends were doing it. 
And from that point on, anytime an invitation's given, you're white knuckling the pulpit or the white knuckling the pew because you, you're afraid of what your friends will think if you get your life right with Jesus today. Can I tell you something? That very person you're trying to impress could be the very person you're burning in eternity with in a place called hell. At that point, their opinion's not going to matter much. Jesus didn't say, hey, hey, Jesus didn't say, hey, your relationship with God is based on them, you and me. You know what he said? It's between you and me. It don't matter what everybody else does. In eternity, men, in eternity, Jesus is not going to look to your wife and say, why is he not a Christian? In eternity, men, he's not going to, Jesus is not going to look at your kids and say, kids, why is your daddy not a Christian? He's going to look square in your eyes and say, what have you done with me? See, it's not going to matter what your wife, because your wife is not responsible for where you are with Jesus. It's a personal decision. And the same personal decision you've got to make to have life is the same personal decision some of you have made to be dead. Nobody can do it for you. You can choose death or you can choose life. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death, but, and I call this the biggest but in the Bible, but the free gift of God is what? Life. It's life. But see, that deadness goes, goes to more than just eternity. There's some Christians that are walking around dead, discouraged, defeated, all just sour puss all the time. If you've got Jesus living inside of you, smile because nobody else out there has it. If you know Jesus, be excited about it. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are because you don't serve a circumstantial loving God. You serve an unconditional loving God that loves you and can free you no matter the circumstances. Puff your chest out a little bit. Get a pep in your step. You're not dead. You're alive because he made you live. Well, how different would our churches be if we came to church on Sunday morning ready to celebrate life? Rather than coming to church like it's time to go to a funeral. I mean, some of us, man, we're sitting in church. I can't wait for this to be over. Dang, Brother Greg went past 12 o'clock. The Methodist is going to beat me to lunch. We sit in church. We sit in church and the Crusaders, the Crusaders sing about Christ going to Calvary and shedding his blood because he loves you and he loves me. They sing Jesus to Calvary did go. His love for mankind to show. Man, I wonder how that Saints game is going today. What he did there brought hope from despair. Man, I wonder what my wife's making for lunch today. Oh, how he loves you and me when we should be rejoicing and focused in on nothing else because that's what matters. We got everything else going on. Why? Because we're dead. And it's time for some of us who've been given life to come back to life, to run back to the God that gives life rather than God's that take life away. You know why some of you don't have life today? You've been busy giving your life to everyone and everything else throughout the week. You're bowing to the God of popularity. You're bowing to the God of other people's opinion 
Maybe you're bowing to the God of money and resources. Maybe you're bowing to the God of religion. Maybe you're bowing to the God of immorality. You're bowing to the God of self-righteousness. You're bowing to the God of pride. And you have nothing left to give to the King of kings and Lord of lords. So when you come to church on Sunday morning, you're bored to tears. Jesus didn't die to be leftovers. He died to be the most important thing in your life. Jesus didn't set us free so that we would come to church and act like we'd rather be getting an enema or a root canal. He died to set us free so that when we come to his house, there's nothing more that we want to do than be in his presence. And it don't matter how long the service goes. But God forbid the service go a little longer. Because we got football games to watch and naps to take. We got to go get the local sale down in Monroe before they all sell out. We got a lake to go fish on. We got all this other stuff. Listen, those that are alive just want to be where the person who set them free is for as long as they possibly can. So, where are you today? Are you dead in your sin? If you were to die tonight, are you 100% sure? that you'd be with Jesus forever and ever. Only you can decide that. And if I was to ask you that question to your husband, to your wife, to your kids, to your parents, would they say the same thing? Because here's the reality. If you know Jesus, it ain't going to be secret. People ain't going to have to scratch their head and say, well, I think that dude knows Jesus. They're going to be able to know. Because they're going to be able to see it. Maybe you're a Christian and you know what? Here, listen. Maybe you're just dead. Maybe you're just dead. Maybe Jesus doesn't wow you like he used to. Maybe you need to remember what he saved you from, from the penalty of hell. Maybe you need to remind yourself of what you've been set free from, an addiction. You've been set free from hopelessness and meaningless. He gave you, me he gave you passion. He gave you hope. Because when you remember what Jesus has done for you, you're a lot more likely to run to him. Last thing I want you to see is this. That the design for God's church is not applied. Watch this. Look at verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath entered them, and they came to life, and they stood on their feet, a vast army. Go back with me and um, look at verse. Look at verse 7. I'm sorry. Yeah, while I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Here's God's plan for the church. First of all, this, God wants us to be unified. Amen. He wants us to come together. Sad reality is we got our agendas are more important than his agenda. You know why a lot of people don't want to come to church, don't want to come to revival, they don't want to come to Jesus? Because there's too much of this going on in the church. There's too much division in the church. They can get that where they live. They don't need to come to the house and get that. So if we're going to see people saved, if we're going to see revival happen, if we're going to see this nation come back to God, we got to come together. Yes, we got to come together. We got to stand united for one cause. That cause ain't to make New Zion Baptist Church famous. It's to make him famous. That cause ain't to come to church on Sunday morning and do our business as usual Christianity. It's to meet with Jesus. Yeah. The next thing I want you to see is this about the, about the church. 
They didn't just come together, but they stood. It's time for the church to stand up and fight. It's time for the church to stop hiding behind the shadows, hiding behind political correctness, hiding behind the worry of offending people. It's time for the church to stand up. The Bible says they stood. You know why the nations in the, na- the world, the shape it's in today? It's because for far too long the church has sat the sidelines and done nothing. It's time for, the, for the, us to stand and fight, not sit and sour. But here's what, we're, here's what we're content with doing. We'll just leave that to them because we don't want to offend anybody. This book right here is the most offensive book ever written about the most offensive character that ever lived. In John chapter 6, verse 60 some odd, 66, Jesus has just given a dissertation about why he's the Messiah. And here's what happens. His followers say, man, I can't handle this teaching. I'm gone. I'm splitting. Jesus goes over to Peter and he looks at him and he says, you going too? He doesn't come to him and say, hey guys, listen, if y'all will come back and follow me, I'll never promise to be the Messiah again. He wasn't worried about offending them. We got too many churches today that are worried about offending people. You know what? I'd rather be biblically correct than politically correct. And here's what the Bible says. Sin separates you from God. It condemns you from an eternity separated from God. The Bible says this. What the world considers to be glamorous and popular is foolishness in the eyes of God. And he does not like it. And when we as Christians side with the world, we make ourselves enemies to God. Look at another thing the church did. They became an army. An army. You know the problem in the church, though? We got too many soldiers that are AWOL or missing in action. We got too many churches, we got too many soldiers that are AWOL and missing in action, absent without leave. They just go and go, they just take off. They just take off. Listen, when you're not actively involved in the ministry of this church, the ministry suffers. When you're not actively involved in a Sunday school class, when you're not actively involved in church, then the message of Jesus, the orders of the commander-in-chief cannot be fulfilled properly. We, the, the cause of Christ needs you. This church needs you. And you may say, well, I'm not a member of any church. I can't think of a better church for you to join than one that stands on God's word, preaches God's word, and is committed to changing this community by the power of God's word. Maybe some soldiers are missing in action. They got their feathers ruffled. And now you can't get in touch with them. And they're going to sit back and they're going to watch church on TV. Because it's just convenient. And because if, if our pastor here preached like the pastor on TV, I'd go back. Here's the deal. When you become a soldier, you forfeit your rights. When you become a soldier, it ain't about you anymore. It's about the country you're in allegiance to. And listen to me. If you're a Christian, it ain't about you anymore. It's about him and his mission. It's about him. It's about getting his message out. Here's what your battle cry. Here's what you should do every morning. Reporting for duty, sir. Checking in with the commander in chief on a daily basis and saying, what's your plan for me? What's our plan of attack? Reporting for duty, sir. Hey, hey, I didn't just sign up for a two-year agreement. I didn't just sign up for four years of my life. I'm all in every day of my life. I'm here to serve you. Your mission is what I'm all about in the army of the king. Maybe some of you here today, you're kind of 
I don't want to go to battle for, in an army because I might get wounded. I don't want to go to battle and fight because somebody may say something bad about me. Listen, being in the war is hard. But the good news is, I'm on a team that wins the war. I'm on a team that wins the war. I ain't got to worry about getting wounded or defeated. Hey, my, my general, he's in charge. He got it won. So if you're not actively involved in the church, you're sinning. Because the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling together. If you're not actively involved in church, you can be a Christian. And if you're not actively involved in church, and I want you to know, the ministry that God has to reach this community, to reach your workplace, to reach your home, is suffering because you're not a part of it. The message can't get out without you. It's going to be a lot harder. So today, we're in need of revival. We're in need of revival. And I'd be willing to say in a room this size with this many people, that maybe today you're in need of revival too. Maybe today you realize that you're dry. Maybe today you realize that not, you're, you're not just dry, but man, maybe you're dead. If you're, are you 100% sure today that if you, go to be with, that if you died today, you'd be with Jesus forever and ever? Maybe you're just not preaching. You're living the life the way you want to live it rather than God wants you to live it. And maybe the ministry of this church is suffering because you ain't plugged in. Here's what's going to happen. I believe this. I believe everything this book says. And as I look, as I look through it, here's, what, here's one thing that I found out. Everybody that Jesus called to a commitment and called to follow him, he called them publicly. He didn't say, hey, cut the lights. Cut the lights because we don't want anybody to see it. He called Matthew straight out of a tax collector's booth and said, follow me. He called Zacchaeus when everybody in the city was looking. Here's what that means. He wasn't ashamed of you when he hung on a cross naked and gurgling for his life. He's asking you to not be ashamed of him today. In this invitation time, if God has spoken to you, he don't want you to worry about what the person next to you is doing. He wants you to make it real today. I'm going to invite, I'm going to invite David and the rest of the crusaders up. Pastor Greg's going to stand right here. The invitation is twofold. Here it is. First, of, first off, for Christians, are you where you need to be with Jesus? Are you where you need to be with Jesus? Only you and him can answer that question. And if you're not, he can't do in your life and through your life what he wants to till you get right. And I can't think of any better time to get right than right now because the longer you wait, the chances are you'll never get right. Maybe you're here today and you know what? Maybe you've never settled the eternity issue. I want you to know something today. You may be young and think you've got the rest of your life to live. The Bible says your life is like a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. I told you I believe everything in this Bible. You know, one thing I never found is tomorrow. Because it ain't promised. It ain't promised. I mean, what makes us think that if, if all these attacks happen in other parts of the nation, they, gonna, they, they may not happen here. And if something happened today, some freak accident or something, are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you ready for eternity, forever and ever, to stand in the presence of Jesus? Or today could it be that you're going straight to hell? I don't know where you are today, but I do know this. He's waiting with arms outstretched. Come to me, 
all who are weak and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest, is what he said. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. If you're here today, and you'd say, John, I'm dead. John, I don't know for sure that if I died tonight, I'd go straight to heaven to be with Jesus forever and ever. John, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But today I want to know if that's you and nobody looking around, can I see your hand? John, I want to know. John, I want to know. Keep them up where I can see them. Keep them up where I can see them. I got you. I got you. Okay. Okay. Keep, keep them up. Keep them up. Just one song. John, I want to know for sure. John, I'm dead. I'm empty inside and I want somebody to come and fill me. I want to be filled. I want to know today. Then here's what's going to happen. In just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer. When I say amen, that's your cue to come to Brother Greg. And you say, Greg, I need Jesus. Now here's the deal. Here's the deal. Raising your hands when nobody's looking is great. But you know what makes it matter? Is when you put feet to that act of faith. And you walk this aisle and you stand before everybody and say, hey, I need Jesus. So in just a minute, if you're serious, only if you're serious, don't mess with God and do something. Say, say you're, you want to do it, but you don't. If you're serious, when I say amen here in just a minute, Brother Greg's waiting for you. You just come to him and say, Brother Greg, I need Jesus. And he'll share with you how you can have it. Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you need to come find yourself at this altar on your face. Some are already doing that. I'm going to say a prayer. When I say amen, the invitation is going to begin. The crusaders are going to lead us. You've raised your hand. You said you need Jesus. Brother Greg's waiting on you. Listen to me very closely. Do not leave this place today without settling your eternity forever and ever because you ain't promised tomorrow. Lord Jesus, I love you. And in the power of your Holy Spirit, the power that brought you up from the grave, I ask that you bind the enemy in this time, that every spirit of fear or pride or perception of other people would be stripped away. God, there's hands all over the sanctuary people say they need you. I pray for a holy dose of courage. I pray that they wouldn't just raise their hands when nobody's looking. God, but they would run down these aisles when everybody's looking, staking their claim on their inheritance in heaven forever and ever with a real God named Jesus. And nothing would hold them back. And God, for Christians that are in this room today, God, if they're dry, convict a mess out of them. God, if, if their life's not what it needs to be, do business with us. God, if they've been wayward in their church attendance, bring them back into your fold today. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys stand.